She was called the realm's delight, but she wished to be a knight in lands where she had no right. She was named her father's heir when he had no hope of a spear, and he had all the lords swear. Prophecy passed from sire, a song of ice and fire, though not her heart's desire. She was horribly betrayed by a friend who always prayed, which left her very dismayed. Then her father had her wed, but she took a lover to bed and chose a hard path to tread. Her sons were all called bastards, not up to the realm's standards, yet blessed with the king's last words. The king had finally passed, and the greens crowned Aegon at last, which left the blacks all aghast. Yet she still gave them a chance. Luke died in Aemon's advance, and now the dragons will dance. Say Zihon Brozis Ixos Rhaenyra Targaryen, and her name is Rhaenyra Targaryen. This is a watch party of ice and fire. That intro was from Uzma with the help of our lady tyrant Morgan. Uh, we are your hosts, Solar, who's not here. Uh, Constance. Good evening. Uzma. Ritsa se Giorna, which means hello and welcome in High Valyrian. <laughs> and myself, Sam. Uh, in this podcast, we'll be talking everything and anything, a world of ice and fire. In this episode, we are talking about Rhaenyra's journey throughout the House of the Dragon series and comparing that with her journey in the books. So while we won't be going into anything past the books or past the series, um, this is a spoiler for the books. So show will be fine. We're not going anywhere past that. But for anything in the books up to the show, this is a spoiler warning. Uh, Be sure to listen and pay close attention as you can elevate your maester's rank and win links prizes by listening to the podcast and answering our trivia before we get into the episode we're starting with our segment for the love of lore where i will be going over anything involving history culture and customs in the world of ice and fire the council will then discuss the lore and how it affects uh what we're talking about and in today's lore we're talking about dragon riders uh dragon riders are individuals who who mount and ride dragons Uh, The Valyrians would use binding spells or magic horns to bond with a dragon. Uh, Once a dragon is bonded to someone, they are, for that rider, the whole of that person's life. Uh, They will not let anybody else ride that dragon. Uh, As we've talked about kind of in other episodes, it kind of creates this like telepathic magic link between the rider and the dragon. Uh, A dragon has been known to take on multiple riders. Uh, Dragons live a lot longer than humans, so it is uh, not uncommon for it to take on another rider. Uh, But no one human has ever ridden two dragons. Uh, Some Targaryens have said that they would like to or planned on doing it, but it just never came into fruition. Um, an example of a dragon that has so far had four riders, uh, Visenya, Balon, Lena, and Aemond all rode Vagar, who we saw in the show. Um, there's usually some kind of saddle. Um, some people decide to not use a saddle when riding a dragon, um, for example, Daenerys. Um, and there, the attempts at controlling a dragon are usually um, someone will speak or command with a um, in Valyrian, or they'll use a whip. But as we saw in the show, controlling a dragon is here and there. Um, 
to ride a dragon, it is believed that Valyrian blood is necessary. Um, there's no proof of this, but it is heavily implied and really throughout um, all of A World of Ice and Fire, we usually only see people with Valyrian blood riding dragons. Um, having Valyrian blood does not guarantee you to ride a dragon, however. Um, there have been plenty of um, Targaryens, Valyrians who have attempted to um, bond with a dragon, but it just never worked out that way. Um, Valyrians would marry within their families to keep bloodlines pure. This was done um, also to make sure that they could keep riding dragons. Uh, the whole keeping the bloodlines pure thing. They were thinking that down the line they might not be able to ride dragons if that was the case. But as we see, they love marrying uh, cousins, sisters, brothers, husbands, or fathers, whatever. Uh, the Targaryen tradition of putting eggs in a crib for a newborn started to kind of create a, an early bond with the dragon that was in the egg. Um, most hatch while, dra while dragons were very common in A World of Ice and Fire. Um, this tradition did continue even after dragons were thought to be extinct, but these eggs pretty much hatched never. Um, some of the history for these for uh, dragon riders, a few theories of how dragon riders came to be. Um, the most likely and common was Valyrian shepherds discovered the dragons in the 14 flames, which is the ring of volcanoes in the Valyrian peninsula. Um, the, another theory is that dragons actually came out of a second moon that went too close to the sun, uh, cracked and released a million dragons. Uh, it is known. Uh, it is known. <laughs> uh, Valyrians, uh, there is another thing that Valyrians actually created dragons from wyvern stock. Um, wyverns are a creature similar to a dragon. They just don't breathe fire. They're from Sothiros. Um, and then there's also a theory that they are actually possibly related to fireworms. Uh, fireworms were dragon-like creatures that were, that lived in the tunnels and caves of the 14 flames. Um, my personal favorite theory is that unnamed people from Ashai actually brought dragons from the Shadowlands to the Valerians and actually taught them how to bond. Um, uh, we saw the Valerians use their bonds of dragons to essentially take over all of Essos until eventually the Doom of Valyria claimed uh, and took out most of the dragon riders. But as we saw, um, some dragon riders did get away. Some Targaryens and Valerians made their way to Westeros. Aegon Visenya and Rhaenys Targaryen rode dragons to conquer Westeros, and then many generations of dragon dragon riders followed um, and also ruled Westeros. Um, and then after a while, we saw dragons uh, go extinct, and eventually Daenerys Targaryen uh, hatched three dragon eggs, and once Drogon was large enough, Danny rode him to come, become the first dragon rider seen um, in a long, long, long time. So what do you all think of dragon riders and how they kind of like worked with the show? Uh, Uzma, we'll start with you. I love the dragon and their dragon riders bond. But uh, to uh, a lot of people were confused about a couple of scenes. Like when uh, Damon went to the cave and sang to Vermithor, a lot of people thought that um, he claimed, he tried to claim or claimed Vermithor. Uh, and now he has two dragons and a few people are confused they think Danny has bonded with three uh, dragons but that's not true because uh, as uh, Sam mentioned a dragon can bond with only one rider at a time and uh, stays uh, with that rider um, and will not allow any other rider even if they are 
connected or very close with the rider unless the rider is sitting with them so uh, i Damon was only trying to tame Vermithor and kind of like trying to prepare him to accept a new rider and i think uh, with danny we know she bonded with uh, drogon but we can't be sure whether she bonded with regal or viserion because uh, we know on the show uh, it was john who bonded with regal what do you guys think uh, do you think there was a bond uh, between uh, danny and regal and viserion they did react to her moods and anger but i think it could have been from observing drogon um i mean i kind of i don't know i mean like i kind of she always talks about how she's like the mother of her dragons so i i think that if kind of like how like targaryens used to have like eggs in the crib kind of thing like she was with those eggs when they yeah. hatched so i i think it's she probably did have some kind of connection with all her dragons um I wouldn't be surprised if maybe she is able to ride all three. Who knows? Like maybe that'll come up in uh, future books. But I-, I do think she definitely has some kind of connection with them for sure. What about you, Constance? It's obvious who she has her main connection with, right? I mean, we we, yeah. we all know that she she favors one dragon over the other two. Um, I think that she's bonded just to Drogon. I don't think she's bonded to the other two, which is why they were wilder and didn't follow her commands as well. And were a little more uh, feral because they didn't have a bonded human to to, to be connected with emotionally. Um, but as for Damon, I think he was kind of priming Vermithor for a writer, saying, mm-hmm. "Hey, don't you remember what it's like to be with a person and fly and all these happy mm-hmm. memories? Yeah, let's get you a new writer." <laughs> I think he was kind of like getting him psyched up for that. Because yeah. they, they're going to need every dragon they can for the dance. So I think that's the reason why he was singing. And uh, do you think a dragon can like uh, track down? We know the bond allows them to feel what their rider is feeling. As we saw with when uh, Caraxes reacted to uh, Damon's anger. Whenever Damon got angry, you could see Caraxes react in anger as well. And uh, in Rhaenyra giving in the season finale... We saw Rhaenyra was screaming in pain and uh, Cyrex reacted to that as well. So, uh, but, uh, and Arax also reacted to, I think, uh, his uh, Luke's fear. I don't think uh, if uh, Arax was on his own, he would have been that terrified. I think he was uh, feeling uh, Luke's terror and that's probably why he attacked Vagar. And uh, dragons are the kind of uh, creatures whose first instinct is to attack and uh, Vega reacted that way and uh, do you think if the command is not given in uh, Valyrian or High Valyrian uh, the dragon would not follow well here's the thing are we talking about the dragons that were trained by the dragon keepers of the dragon pit in the old days or Danny's dragons that did not have the benefit of during the dance of the dragon i'm particularly talking about the vegar and arax scene okay so yeah the i don't think they'd accept any orders outside of high valerian because that's how they've been trained to respond to just that and it's also a method of control you don't want anybody yelling hey shoot fire you know you want the dragon it's it's an elitist thing you know only the only the targaryens speak high valerian 
a couple traders and old Atlantis and some of the others across the sea do as well. But for the most part, it was a Targaryen thing. So it makes sense that they would want to keep the language in something that's unknown. I actually came across a very interesting theory on Reddit. Uh, they, uh, in uh, that particular scene, uh, initially, Aemon uh, uh, screams in English. He doesn't uh, speak High Valyrian. No, Vagar, no. And then he switched, uh, switches to High Valyrian. But uh, the his accent is off. Like uh, when he is saying, uh, there is a word, Tau, Tauba, uh, which means uh, boy. So he says Tauba. So everyone was saying that maybe he wasn't trained that well uh, in High Valyrian as maybe Rhaenyra and her, her kids well were. And maybe that's why uh, his uh, High Valyrian is not good enough. And that's why it didn't work with Rhaegar. It's possible that Rhaegar couldn't hear him. Yeah, I also think that Vagar just couldn't give a shit either. I think that Vagar yeah. yeah. was like, I'm pissed. I'm eating this. Like, I'm going for it. Like, I don't think, I think that... Uh, I think that Aemon could have been yelling out everything in Valyrian and Vagar would have been like, sorry, what was that? And then munched. So, yeah. I think uh, Vagar had it. My hearing is really weak. I'm getting old now. Yeah, <laughs> pretty exactly. much. Yeah. 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 See, this little whippersnapper thinks he could flame me. Oh, yeah, it's on. Yeah. Oh, you said not to eat it? I thought you said eat it. Oh, okay. Can't yeah. hear but you. But I think what? Vagar uh, sends to uh, Aemon's anger. <laughs> He probably like knew Amen was pissed. Yeah. Yeah. But Amen wasn't, you know, we like, like our voting, our vote, our poll said was that we don't think Amen was consciously trying to kill Luke. Yeah. Yeah. And he also, and Eric did like fireball Vagar right in the face right before it, too. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah kind of. And Ryan Condell uh, said that uh, the, uh, the dragons, uh, like uh, the riders who have hatched their dragons, they will have a stronger bond. Than the ones who are riding those who has had riders before. Yeah, that makes so, sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. All right. Well, that was our For the Love and Lore segment. Uh, next, we have our newest segment where we will talk about our character's journey throughout House of the Dragon and compare that to the books. This week, Constance will be talking about Rhaenyra. Take it away, Constance. All right. Uh, Rhaenyra was born of Viserys and his cousin slash wife, Emma Arryn, in 97 AC. She was six when her father became king. Uh, She became known as the realm's delight. She was bright. She was beautiful. She was intelligent. She was everything that you would want a princess to be. She was seven when she bonded with her dragon, Cyrax, and they first started to fly. And at eight, she was named her father's cupbearer and was rarely far from his side. Now, in the show, she grew up alongside Alicent Hightower, who was the daughter of the Hand of the King, Otto, and uh, they were inseparable friends. And it's even kind of like maybe they were a little closer than friends, you know, a little bit more going on there between the two of them, maybe. Um, it's possible. It's possible. We don't know. Uh, <laughs> they would sit in the God's Wood and read uh, their favorite story being the Mary and the Thousand Ships, a beautifully illustrated copy of that. And uh, Rhaenyra wanted to take Alicent flying, but Alicent was like, no, I'm happy on the ground. Thank you. Uh, the other person that Rhaenyra was very fond of was her uncle, Damon. Uh, he would give her gifts, such as this beautiful Valerian steel necklace that we saw in the series. And he was everything that her father wasn't. I mean, he was lean and hard, a warrior. He was dashing. And above all, he was dangerous. 
Uh, Otto was the very first person to suggest that Rhaenyra become the heir to the throne, as he put it. Better the realm's delight than the Lord Fleabottom, which is what they nicknamed Damon. Uh, and so what do we think so far about her childhood, right? Now, in the books, she and Alicent don't have a relationship. In fact, Alicent is much older than she is. Uh, I think Alicent is maybe like five, six years older. So they don't have that age. There's a much larger age gap and there's a much larger social gap between them. Why do you think the show changed that? You know, what What do we think is the purpose behind making Alicent and Rhaenyra close friends? Uh, Sam? Uh, I think like, I mean, from from some of the changes that they made, I feel like they were trying to make things a little like they were trying to make things more tragic in the in the show. And I think creating a relationship between Allison and Rhaenyra, who would eventually become foes. I think that that was like a, a way to like make it more tragic, you know, like two people who were like, you know, essentially like cuddling under the tree, reading like Prince, like Nymeria and her 10,000 ships are now like sworn enemies who are like about like who want to just like basically kill the other one so I, I think that like making them friends and then having that break down as the show goes on i think it was i think it was just like them trying to put on the tragedy like bring on the tears which like i'm all for it i thought it was like a really cool a really cool addition like <laughs> you know am i sad yes but am i happy about being sad a little bit yeah uzma uh, yeah what do you think yeah, I agree with Sam. Uh, and uh, they are trying to, uh, like in Game of Thrones, when we go back to certain events, we are like, if only that hadn't happened, maybe things would have worked out. So uh, in the books, things are practically black and white. Even though George uh, says gray characters are his favorites. But in by doing this, they are uh, trying to make Rainy... Uh, not only Rhaenyra, Alicent's story also tragic. Like, it's not her fault. Uh, her father is forcing her to do it. But uh, if it wasn't for her father, their friendship would have worked and things would have been peaceful. If only it wasn't for Otto. If only she had told her best friend this would have happened. If only th- uh, Rhaenyra hadn't done, uh, done this or lied to her, this wouldn't have happened. So, it's... Uh, they are trying to create that same uh, discussions and same conflicts in us. I wish she hadn't done, done that, kind of like that. <laughs> so, yeah, and it makes uh, a lot of people like Alicent way more if than if she had just tried to, you know, uh, marry the king, uh, seduce him. And that wouldn't have worked as well. So, now the story is so much better. I like this version version better than the books. <laughs> and so does George. <laughs> what do you think? <laughs> well, yeah, I think that it's... A, I think it does deepen the tragedy, right? Because the age yeah. difference between the two of them... There's, there's In the books, there's no love. There's no love between them at all. So that's a big departure is putting the two of them as closer in age and closer in friendship, which makes... Uh, Otto's, you know, manipulations much more poignant because it's like breaking up a, a deep friendship instead of just uh, angling to get his daughter on the throne. It's 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 that added level of tragedy that makes it so delicious. Um, but we're going to talk about the year 105 next. 105 is when everything happens. Now, uh, Rhaenyra is still very young at this point. Um, 
And this is when Emma was pregnant again, right? Everything happens so very quickly in the show. Um, Emma tells Rhaenyra that this is a woman's battlefield, that the giving birth is our duty to the crown. And uh, she's having a rough time with her pregnancy. Now, everything happens at once in the show, but it was much more spread out in the books, right? So Emma was pregnant. There was a joust in Maidenpool, not King's Landing. And that's where Damon was defeated by Christian Cole. Christian Cole also defeated Eric and Arik, the two twins that we saw in the other in the other episode, the ones that, that split, you know, their loyalties. And that's when he was appointed to the Kingsguard and made Rhaenyra's personal guardian, bodyguard, at her request. Uh, this was also when Lionel Strong was made the Master of Laws and brought his two sons to King's Landing. Harwin Strong, who was one of the most strong men in all of Westeros, nicknamed Break Bones for his tendency to wound his opponents in such a way. And his other son, Laris, who is known as the Clubfoot, who became an Inquisitor and a Torturer and is an all-around creep. Uh, but Emma died in 105 along with the infant Balin. Uh, we know what happened in that, that tragic birthing scene. In the books, it just says that she died in childbirth. It doesn't elaborate. And it would be weeks before Viserys would speak again to Rhaenyra. Now, in the books, he summons her into the, the crypts to the skull of Balerion and reveals to her the great secret of the Targaryen house, that Aegon the Conqueror knew that there would be a great crisis plaguing Westeros coming from the frozen north that would require unity and strength for the world to be plunged into darkness. Uh, he saw this and wrote down his prophecy, part of which was etched into the Valerian steel dagger that Viserys carried with him at all times. The prophecy read, From my blood comes the prince that was promised, and his will be the song of ice and fire. Now, after the period of mourning was done, uh, Viserys summoned all the lords to accept Rhaenyra as their heir and pledged to defend her and her claim to the throne. They promised to be faithful to King Viserys and his named heir, the Princess Rhaenyra. They pledged fealty to them and shall defend them against all enemies in good faith without deceit. I swear this by the old gods and the new. Damon was not one of those that swore. So this is pivotal in understanding Rhaenyra's viewpoint. The prophecy, the Song of Ice and Fire, is not mentioned anywhere in the books. This is exclusively to the show. Um, but it provides a lot of motivation for Aegon's Conquest, which fueled a lot of fan theories and answered a lot of fan questions, or at least the show has. Uh, but what do you guys think about this prophecy and Rhaenyra being sworn to the, the Targaryen family secret? We'll, we'll start with you, Uzma. I think it's definitely going to happen in the books because uh, in uh, when George was promoting uh, Fire and Blood, he did mention it. Uh, he said something like, uh, there have been uh, a lot of rumors that Aegon knew about the prophecy and that's why he knew about um, the coming threat and that's why he decided to unite Westeros. Just the fact that he mentioned this uh, in his interview when he was promoting Fire and Blood, it just uh, shows that there is something going to happen in it. In it. And uh, that's what happened in season one then. They did make it come true. And I think that makes the story way more interesting than if he was just a power-hungry man who just wanted to conquer Westeros for no reason, uh, just his ambitions. So I think uh, it gives them 
it doesn't make the Targaryens all bad guys. Like uh, some people think they are, they are or they are power hungry because uh, it explains the actions of some of the kings. Like they knew this threat, and that's why they were preparing for it. But I, one thing I found really interesting was the words. Because uh, when Danny goes to the house of the Undying and sees Rhaegar, he mentions these words and they are quite similar. Uh, he says something like, uh, he, he has a song, he is the prince that was promised, his is the song of ice and fire. And we know uh, that Rhaegar never wanted to be a knight. He found something uh, in, the, in his scrolls or uh, maybe a library or something that made him want to become a knight. But we know that uh, after the dance, uh, I think this prophecy will get lost because I don't think uh, uh, no one will be able to remember that after everything that <laughs> went down. So uh, I think there were texts uh, also in Targaryen scrolls uh, about his prophecy. Maybe they were just kept by the kings or something. And that's how Rhaegar found it. But uh, it was a really nice touch. And uh, it shows uh, how much it is. this prophecy is affecting Rhaenyra's actions. Because when it comes to uh, war, she doesn't... Uh, even though the Greens have wronged her, even though the Greens have stolen her birthright, and she is beyond mad, but she puts the kingdom first. She puts, uh, she keeps this prophecy in mind that if they, if she went to war, if she divided the kingdom, the whole world will pay for it. And that's why she has been uh, trying to restraining herself, trying to control her actions. But after Luke's death, she will be like, just let the world burn. <laughs> what do you think, Sam? I really like the addition. I think it's really cool. I think it like like kind of Uzumi was saying like it gives a little more, uh, like you know, it gives a little more motivation for Rhaegar to come over to Westeros instead of him just being like I'm taking over now. Like there was like you know actual thought to it. Um, also makes sense on why he would like you know attack Westeros with like three hundred men and <laughs> three dragons. So, uh, uh, going like further on to that like. I think it also will make the dance more interesting in the sense that, like, Rhaenyra won't necessarily just be fighting for, uh, you know, her being queen. She's going to be fighting for the entire realm, essentially. Mm -hmm. um, I am interested to see how that plays out and how if, like, you know, like Uzuma was saying, she thinks that, like, you know, that you might that the prophecy might disappear during the dance. But, like, maybe Rhaenyra might pass it on to someone else or... I wouldn't be surprised if it's written down somewhere. Um, you know, like, we know that, like, Egg eventually tries, like, bringing forth dragons at Summerhall, and we get the Summerhall tragedy. Or at least that's a theory. Mm -hmm. So, like, maybe somewhere down the line it picks back up, or maybe Brendan Rivers even might have known about it. I know there's, like, a huge theory about him knowing about stuff, too, with Shira Seastar. So, like, I feel like it's going to float around somewhere. It's just who gets it and who finds it. But I, it definitely makes it, like... I feel like it just changes the whole story in such a cool way. Like we have all these like really cool Targaryens that like are doing stuff and you're kind of like, why is this person acting this way? Like, you know, some of the, some of the characters really do act out of character, Rhaegar being one of them for sure. So like a lot of this just like layers, like it just all makes so much sense. And I, I really like mm -hmm. about it. What do you think, Constance? Yeah. 
Uh, I think it it ties things together, right? I mean, it really gives us a greater dimension of character motivations to understand why they were doing the things that they were doing. And it's quite likely that everyone forgot about the prophecy, except probably Rhaegar. Um, and, you know, this doesn't seem like the kind of thing that would have gotten passed down with all the confusion during the, that's going to happen during the dance uh, with with the different situations that are ahead. No spoilers. Uh, <laughs> um, but, yeah, I think... I think it's kind of it's kind of a retcon, as in I don't know if George had this plan the whole time, but it's hard to say. It, it could have been there the whole time. We just haven't gotten to it because he hasn't written the damn books yet. But it's entirely possible that he used the vehicle of the show as the medium to put this story out, because he does seem to be more involved with this one than he was with the the original Game of Thrones. So. That's good. Uh, but back to Rhaenyra. So Viserys marries I would like Allison. to add. Oh, go oh, ahead, Uzma. I would like to add. I read a recent interview of Ryan Condell, and he said he was in talks with George R. R. Martin. And uh, like the second he finished his manuscript, he would send it to Ryan Condell. So they are constantly in talks, and I think this is possible that this idea came from George R. R. Martin. Okay, that's cool. That would be nice. Coming from the maestro himself. Hmm. Uh, so Viserys marries Alicent in 106 Alicent was 18 at the time uh, Otto had placed her in Viserys's mind as the, the number one match even though there was Lena Valaria and that was you know the more sound political choice but that's a different topic uh, Aegon their son was born in 107 a second son named Aemon was born in 110 AC and throughout all this Rhaenyra continued to be the heir with Sir Christian as her sworn shield now, in the books, Alicent starts pushing as soon as Aemon's born, as soon as Aegon is born, for Aegon to become the heir. Alicent and Otto together. Uh, and the first references to the Greens and the Blacks happens actually in 111 AC when Rhaenyra is 14 years old. So, again, much younger than when she was portrayed in the series. Uh, there was a tourney, and Alicent arrives in Hightower Green, and Rhaenyra's wearing black and red. And since then, that is when the two parties started to be referred to as the Greens and the Blacks. Now, in the series, we first see Alicent in green at Rhaenyra's wedding, which isn't for another two to three years. So this is a big departure from the books because there's a greater divide long before it happens in the series. Um, now, here's when Damon comes back. Damon comes back at this tourney presents the crown of the Stepstones to his brother. And from that point on, he starts to court Rhaenyra. He takes her uh, uh, dragon race, dragon racing. He gives her presents. He presents exotic gifts from his far-flung adventures across the sea in Essos. And they're talking and, and they're having this long, long relationship together. You know, of course, the fact that they're uncle and niece is just kind of ick, but that's Targaryens for you. Um and here's where things get a little convoluted, because there's both the book version and then there's the series version. So it, it happens kind of all of the mess, and even the books don't agree on exactly what happened. Rhaenyra was in love with Christian Call. That much is pretty clear. She wanted him to be her first lover. So in the books, it's rumored by Mushroom, who likes to tell the most salacious <laughs> stories possible, yay Mushroom, that Damon was teaching her the art of how to please a man. 
without her actually having sex. She wanted to give her virginity to Christian Cole. So she was learning all other kinds of techniques down in the street of silk to please a man, except actually sleeping with him. Um, and uh, then Eustace, Septon Eustace, says that he that Damon and Rhaenyra were caught sleeping together. But, as we saw in the series, Damon couldn't go through with it and abandon Rhaenyra in the middle of a brothel where she was seen and spies reported it back to Nisaria who reported that to Otto. Again, this is in the book series. Um, as she returns to the castle, she seduces Sir Christian and they make love. Now in the books, Christian is not happy about her attempt and abandons her. And uh, Rhaenyra ends up sleeping with Harwin Strong instead. This is where it gets confusing because later in the story, he still proposes to her and says, let's run away and be lovers and happy forever. And Rhaenyra still turns him down. But according to Mushroom, he turned her down this first time. So it's that he said, she said kind of convoluted story that you get when there's court gossip and rumors and drama and, and people seeing bits and pieces of the story. Uh, but what do you guys think? Do you think that, that Damon was teaching her for his sake or for her sake? And do you think that the whole point was to seduce Christian? And let's, let's go with one step more with Alicent's questioning of her in the series where after hearing the accusation that she was sleeping with Damon in the brothel, she goes to Rhaenyra and asks, did you do this? And Rhaenyra says, no, I didn't sleep with Damon, which is true. And that she's still a virgin, which is not. Um, now, what do you guys think about these different stories? Like, which version do you think actually happened in the books versus what we saw in the series? Or was it both? Or all, all the above? <laughs> What do you guys think, Sam? Well, firstly, I believe anything Mushroom says. Okay, we're... <laughs> release the Mushroom cut. Yes, we know he's the we know he's the best source of information. Everything that comes out of his mouth is true. I don't want to hear anything yeah. else. Um, he's very trustworthy. <laughs> exactly. Uh, but in all seriousness, I do. I think that it's like probably. I feel like the show like did a nice little like almost like representation of like maybe a mix of the stories like you know like um Damon and Rhaenyra were seen with each other with what looked like was going to be sex but like you know he couldn't perform which isn't something that you could probably tell from like seeing from afar or something like that so like I think that that the whole they caught each caught them sleeping together might have been a thing that people did think they saw um, with the Kristen denying Rhaenyra, I'm not sure. I'm not sure about that one. Like, I, I kind of, like, the way I always read the story, even with that part, I kind of always felt like Kristen was also interested in Rhaenyra. So that could also be, like, the situation where Kristen felt slighted as a knight twice, I guess. Like, he felt slighted that she approached him, but then, like, the fact that she just went and slept with someone else made him 
jealous or like slighted as a man or something stupid like you know like basically i've i don't know the show has completely jaded me on Kristen cole so like <laughs> i feel like he was probably a dick in some shape or form in the book as well but i i think that the what the show did great was like taking the rumors from multiple sources and then creating kind of their own story that took these little tidbits that could be true, could not be true, and then made their own version of it, which I think like really works well when it comes to rumors. Excuse me, we always see that in King's Landing, and that's like one of the more fun parts I think of the politics is like all these rumors that they spread. So, Uzun, what do you think? I am going to consider the show canon. <laughs> like that's uh, they are showing the true things that happened, and uh, in the books we know that uh, it was recorded years down the line so it has everything they have recorded either has gotten mixed up with rumors and the truth has gotten muddled and everything uh, for example miss Arya getting pregnant the masters didn't have a way of knowing whether she was really pregnant or whether damon was lying about it they couldn't have known so i'm going to consider that everything that happens in the show at least till now uh, <laughs> is true and uh, the things recorded by Mushroom and uh, Mr. Eustace was just mixed up versions of it based on rumors they heard and based on their own biased uh, views. Because we know that Mushroom was a black supporter and Mr. Eustace was a green supporter of the Greens. Mm -hmm. So they both have their own versions, which kind of puts like a, their side in a better light. As for uh, Christian Cole, I do think uh, that what happened in the show really happened because it doesn't make sense. If he didn't like her, why did he get so mad during her ma marriage that he beat Sir Geoffrey Lawnmouth to death? Uh, it, it shows that he was jealous. He wasn't happy with her marriage and he took it out on Geoffrey Lawnmouth. Mm -hmm. So it makes sense that... Uh, it was true. As for Rhaenyra, uh, Damon was her hero and Sir Christian Cole defeated him and it showed that she thinks, okay, is there someone better than Damon? <laughs> and that's why she got infatuated with him. So I think it's still possible that she was the one who recommended. Uh, like we know uh, Viserys appoints uh, Sir Christian Cole, but it was uh, definitely based on her decision. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she requested it directly, yeah. according to the lore. Um, so I think that he was a handsome knight. She was a young girl. She saw a storybook opportunity, and uh, she kind of went for it. But uh, her, so we were talking, you, you spoke about her marriage to Lenore and, and the wedding. Uh, that happened in 117, in 114. Uh, and this was a year after she took up Dragonstone as her royal seat, which she took the Dragonstone as, as, at 16. And she had all kinds of proposals, including Allison suggesting she marry her half-brother Aegon, who was 10 years younger. Uh, but neither of them wanted that, and Viserys saw that as a blatant power move and said no. Uh, now, there was a lot of lords that are proposed. Uh, there was Amos Bracken and Samuel Blackwood that dueled over her, like we saw in the series. The two of them got got into a nice little fight over it. That was fun. Uh, there was a Frey lordling named Forrest, who they called the Fool Frey, because he asked for her hand blatantly. There was the Lannister twins, Jason and Tyland, the Tullys, 
the Tyrells, the Oakharts, and the Tarleys. And also, she was courted by Harwin Strong, who was, you know, her lover, pretty much, at least according to the story at that point. But there was a political match to be had with Lanor Valerian, her cousin, who was only three years older than she was. Problem was, Lanor was not into ladies. He preferred the company of men. Uh, Rhaenyra protested, and Viserys threatened to name Aegon as his heir, and then she finally agreed to the marriage. Uh, in the show, they had that beautiful discussion about their appetites and which tables they would eat from, which was a really great way of the two of them discussing their sexuality and being comfortable enough with each other to say, you do your thing, I'll do my thing, and we'll do our own thing together when we have to. Uh, we don't know if that happened in the books or not, but that's a great, great segment during the show. I really love that scene. Um, at this time, here's where Eustace... Septon Eustace says that Christian Cole proposed and asked her to run away with him to the free cities and she rejects him because she's the heir and she's destined for greater things than being some knight's wife. And this is when Christian really goes dark. Uh, but the, she marries Lenor in early 114 AC. There were seven days of feasts and jousts with a wedding held at the end, not the beginning. Uh, Rhaenyra gave her favor to Harwin Strong and Lenor gave his to Geoffrey Lawnmouth. <laughs> <laughs> a guy gave his favor to another guy in front of everybody. I mean, a Westeros that's not really considered manly. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it's a little a little too much for Westerosy, you know, sexual behaviors in public. Wasn't hiding much. You know, no, every everybody knew. You know, um, if but they didn't know, they did now. They so, did by then. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Um, so we saw Joffrey approach Kristen in the series, uh, who he thinks is still together with Rhaenyra, and threatens and conjoles him to protect their secrets. This results in Joffrey being murdered by Kristen during the feast at the wedding on the first night in the series. In the books, it happens towards the end of the jousting, and he kills Joffrey by bashing in his helmet. And he lingers for several days before he dies. He also beats the crap out of Harwin Strong. Just saying. He's he's going after going after Rhaenyra's other boyfriend. Um, Lenor leaves back to go to High Tide. And there's question about whether or not the wedding was actually consummated. Uh, but later that year, Rhaenyra gave birth to Jaceris, who was a, had a little pug nose, brown hair and brown eyes. Which didn't match the silver hair and the purple eyes of Lenor, who was of pure Valarian blood. About the same time, Alicent gives birth to Prince Darren, who, like his father, has silver-white Targaryen hair. And both boys shared a wet nurse, hoping that there would be a, a milk bond between them, which was a common kind of occurrence for noble children to have someone else provide their milk instead of their mothers. Um, now, Rhaenyra has a third child named Lucerys in 115 AC, and like his brother, he has dark eyes and dark hair. And their third son, Joffrey, who was born in 117, also had dark hair and dark, eye, dark eyes. Uh, this led to a lot of rumors that they were Harwin's bastards, especially spread by Alicent and Otto. But Viserys decreed that each child would still have a dragon put, put in their cradles and all three hatches. Jace has a Vermax, Luke has Aurex, and Joffrey would later have a dragon named Tyraxes. Now... Here we go with the differences between the book and the story. In the books, Lena, who's married to Damon at this point, is basically Rhaenyra's best friend. They're they're super close. And that they they go back and forth 
between Dragonstone and High Tide and Driftmark. And Lena dies in 119, while Rhaenyra and Daemon are both there in the book, not the tragic death that we saw in the series. Uh, but it's shortly after the funeral that Damon and Rhaenyra decide that they are made for one another and they decide that they're going to get married now. Do you guys really think that that was the most appropriate time for Damon and Rhaenyra to decide that they're going to be lovers and marry at the funeral? Or was it like inevitable that this was going to happen and that was just the most, the first, the first time they really had together to, to spend with each other? Uzma, what do you think? I think the timing was really interesting. I don't know why I just got the feeling that it was possible that they might have been behind Lena's death. Like, uh, if uh, Damon really mourned her, if he really loved her, he would have waited uh, for some time before marrying Rhaenyra. It wasn't like Rhaenyra was in a hurry or going to marry anyone else. So he could have waited, but they married very soon after her death. Mm -hmm. So it did kind of feel like, uh, at least to me, that they might have been behind her death. But uh, that's how it is in the books. Both the blacks and the greens are way darker in the books. Their actions are way way more questionable in the books than on the show. So I kind of like that in the show, they waited for some time and faked... Lena's death before yeah. marrying. It was, was a nice change. Yeah. yeah, I was going to get to that. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry for getting it. <laughs> well, you know the then... story, so. <laughs> yeah. No, I. Uh, I don't think the timing was appropriate at all. <laughs> I think they. Uh, <laughs> you know, if they wanted to, like, like in the obviously in the books, it's like very sketchy timing. They could have. If they were interested in, like, being with each other, I don't know, maybe discuss it, but leave it alone for, like, at least a little (laughs) bit, you know? Like, there's no reason to get married, like, day of, next day, whatever. Um, Yeah, I I don't know. It it was, like, that part was, like, really weird to me. It was, like, and, you know, they also slept together, like, the day of the the funeral, and it's, like, in the show. But, like, I don't know. I feel like maybe just be like hey we can do this but let's wait like at least a few months i mean jesus wait till like, the, the the corpse is fully sank to the bottom of the right ocean. like wait a little <laughs> bit you know and i mean like the valarians are already like i feel like it's that was already starting to be shaky ground with with the with rainier and damon so yeah they could have waited a bit i, I think <laughs> that was too soon <laughs> I think in the show it works because they were in Pentos and it would have taken them some time to reach from Pentos to Driftmark. So some Possibly. time has passed. Possibly, yeah. yeah. Uh, and what do you think? Yeah. So the next part that we're going to discuss is the eye for an eye, right? This is when uh, Amon steals Vagar. And in the books, it was her three boys, the, the strong boys that set on them. In the series, they I love the fact that they had the uh, Lena and Damon's little girls go after him. That was great that they had the <laughs> girls in the fight, you know, Bella being pissed off about her, her dragon. Um, but afterwards, there's the confrontation with the king. And the king says, where have you heard these rumors that they're bastards? And Aegon says, anyone can see it by looking at them. 
Uh, Viserys said he would tear out the tongue of anyone that said that they were the strong or that they were bastards. He sent Alicent back to King's Landing and Rhaenyra back to Dragonstone. And then Harwin he sent back to Harrenhal, his father. But that's when Harwin was killed in a fire along with his father, which in the series was caused by his brother, Larys. Now, the book suggests several different persons, including Prince Damon, who did it to get Rhaenyra's lover out of the way. <laughs> but uh, the the series clearly made it that it was it was Loras and, you know, adding to his creepitude. He's a kinslayer. Um, but uh, so Rhaenyra couldn't mourn the loss of her lover. But Lenor did step up and say, I, I should be a better husband and father because he really did love those kids. He knew they weren't his, obviously, and he still took care of them as if he was their dad. He still loved them and supported them. So he was a good man, which is rare to find in Westeros. And that's probably why Rhaenyra and Daemon gave him an out. Now, in the books, in the year 119, he's killed by his lover, Carl. And that's pretty much the end of it. Uh, they suggest that Daemon, again, try to get rid of Rhaenyra's husband, but in the series, they showed us a much gentler version where Damon and Rhaenyra both plan to get rid of Laenor in the kindest way possible, which is to say to give him his freedom. And we see Laenor and Carl board a ship and go off happily ever after. What do you guys think of that? I mean, I think it's the most beautiful, touching thing we've ever seen in Game of Thrones. <laughs> uh, Sam, let's let's hear from you. What's what's your thought on their plan to get rid of Laenor? It was probably the only really nice part that we probably had throughout this whole series really i mean <laughs> we probably had a couple like little nice moments but that was like the only one that ended nicely and even saying that it ended nicely is like you they still had to murder someone and also rainies yeah they still and, murdered the guard yeah and rainies and corliss still think that they lost their son so like i'm glad that lanor got his happy ending mm -hmm. and like and it's definitely the happiest moment that we caught all season, but I still feel so bad for Rainies and Corliss. Like they yeah. just had a bad time, but it is like, it, I think it's interesting. Like I was, I think if, if I'm correct, I'm pretty sure he kills Laner like at a tourney or something, or like, it's pretty like in the open, I think. Yeah. It's like in a street, like they had a okay. brawl it was in the a market the or something. Yeah. Yeah. So like, that's like, I feel like that basically confirms that this is like a, a big change like i don't know if they could have really done that in the book like out in the open like that i'm not sure but i i do i think it's a cool change like i think it's like some people are saying they think that lanor might come back i don't really think that's gonna happen i think that the writers mm -hmm. are, are staying pretty true to this to the story and i don't think george would have any interest in bringing him back either and i also just kind of like the idea of like someone actually leaving and like enjoying their life and like leaving the crown and whatever behind so I, I did really like it. I thought it was great. What do you think, Uzma? I think this is Game of Thrones. And what Ramsey has taught us, there are no happy endings in Game of Thrones. <laughs> we, we know that they are trying to get Sea Smoke a new rider. And that can't happen as long as Lenor is alive. So if, uh, if Sea Smoke gets a new rider, we know what it means. Interesting. Something... Something might happen. We don't know whether we'll get to watch it or it will happen behind the scenes. But if that happens, 
it means that Leonor is no longer alive. I think this ending still uh, lines up with the books because um, uh, the change in uh, the scene, Leonor's death. Because um, in the books, everyone says that it was Carl Cory uh, that killed Leonor. And we know there was a guard who saw Carl Cory with Leonor last before he ran away to get other guards. And then they found Leonor's dead body. So they can still come to the conclusion that is it was Carl who killed uh, Leonor. And as for the books, yes, it happened in the market. But I think there is still a possibility they could have maybe faked his death. Do you think it's possible? Like they could have used animal's blood or something to use as a fake blood. Because uh, if I remember correctly, uh, it was, uh, I think, stabbing, right? Carl mm-hmm. killed him with... Yeah. yeah. Uh, so they could have used fake blood to fake his death. Sure. Yeah, they could have tried that. I mean, I think... I think that it didn't happen in it. It didn't happen in King's Landing. It didn't happen in Driftmark. Yeah. High Tide. It it happened like at the market in some random city, right? I don't remember which one it was, yeah. but it could have easily been staged, made a show up. Uh, I think getting a body. the The difference is the body needed yeah. to be disfigured in order for the trick to work. So I don't think that in the books it was George's intent that Lenore survived. But I do like the show changing that ending. Yeah, they are changing uh, minor points, but they are yeah. still hitting major uh, points uh, for, from the books. And that's what Ryan said they were trying to go for. They want to hit all the major points from the books. Mm-hmm. And the next major point that happens is after Lenore's death is Damon and Rhaenyra announced their marriage. It was less than half a year after the deaths. So it was really short period of, of time before they announced their wedding. Uh, Mushroom says it's because Rhaenyra was already pregnant. Um, and in fact, she did give birth in 120 to a baby who had Valerian features. So we definitely know that he got it from both mom and dad. His name was Aegon. In addition to his uncle, Aegon, which pissed <laughs> Alicent off. So there's Aegon the Elder, which was Alicent's son, and then Aegon the Younger, which was Rhaenyra's son. Because there's not enough Aegons in, in Game of Thrones, clearly. <laughs> you they need, need more. more. You Maybe need more. six more. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. It's fine. Give us yeah. more Aegon. <laughs> yeah, more Aegon. I've got a fever and the prescription is more Aegon. <laughs> um, so they had another son named, da- named Viserys, who was born in 122. Viserys did not have a dragon hatchling, although Aegon the Younger did. And in 126, Chorus Valaria nearly dies. Now, his grandson, Jace, would be his heir, being the eldest son of his, eld- of his only son. But since Jace was the heir to the heir of the throne, Cecil would pass to Laenor's other son, Luke. Corlys's nephew, uh, in the series it was his brother, protests and claims publicly that Rhaenyra's children were Harwins. Damon beheads him for this, and in the book, she feeds his corpse to Cyrax. Uh, And the other Valarians who said the same thing and supported their nephew-slash-brother's claim had their tongues ripped out by Viserys for repeating the lies. Uh, And 
basically she takes Eric Cargill as her sworn shield. So we've got Eric and Arik already having their divide between the two sides. And Viserys cuts his hand when issuing the judgment. Now we saw this earlier in the series, but in the books, this is when he cuts himself and he needs to get his fingers amputated and, and the whole sickness sets in. Um, now in 127, Viserys has the family dinner where he tries to forge peace between Rhaenyra and Alicent. Um, you know, it's the whole beautiful scene where Rhaenyra thanks Alicent for taking care of her father, and Alicent thanks Rhaenyra for be being a good heir. And then the boys start shit once the king leaves. And the king dies later that night. In the books, he's alive for another two years. He dies in 129 in the books. Um, but... The situation that we have here in the series, which is wonderful, a wonderful bit of misdirection, is in his delirium, he starts talking to Alicent, who he thinks is Rhaenyra, about the Song of Ice and Fire and Aegon and being the one, the prince that was promised. Alicent mistakes this for her son Aegon being the prince that was promised, i.e. the heir to the throne, and takes that to her green council which is already plotting to put Aegon on the throne, but now they've got, like, royal decree that they should do it in their minds. And so they basically plot to put Aegon on the throne and hold the whole scene with the coronation. Rhaenys does not bust out in the books. <laughs> That's a pure series thing, is Rhaenys with Melis, you know, busting out of the, the floor of the, the, the dragon pit. Um, and Rhaenyra is on Dragonstone when the news reaches her that Viserys is dead. Now, it doesn't say where it comes from in the books, but we know in the series that it comes from Rhaenys. And Rhaenyra goes into labor with her sixth child because of the stress and the anger at learning her father's dead and her throne has been usurped. And her baby is born too early, and it's a hard labor, and the baby comes out and it's unfortunately deformed. Mushroom even claims that the baby had a tail. Uh, and she was furious at losing her father and her throne, and she said that they stole my crown and murdered my daughter, and they shall answer for it. Now, um, she's crowned during the funeral in the series by Damon with the crown of Jaehaerys, her father's crown and her, grand and her grandfather's crown. Her first act is to call Otto and Alicent traitors. And she says that her half-siblings and her sister Helena, who she, who she cared for dearly, were led astray by the high towers, and she will forgive them if they come before her and bend the knee. And here we have another split. Otto, in the series, comes to present the terms for Aegon, emphasizing that they did this with all the trappings of the power of the people. He's wielding the sword of the conqueror. He's wearing the crown of the conqueror. He was anointed in the great dragon pit in front of Hundreds of thousands of people, whatever. In the books, it's a Grand Maester that comes. So Otto doesn't present the terms himself. It's Grand Maester Orwell and Septon Eustace, who Eustace was a supporter of the Black, of the Greens and wrote a lot of this, the rumors that we've heard. Uh, Rhaenyra considers the offer of peace because what kind of a queen is she if she puts herself first and not her people? Uh, and then she has Orwell stripped of his Grand Maester's chain and gives it to her own maester. So basically says, nope, yoink. Um, but we're getting to the end here. She has the Black Council, which was her husband, Damon, 
Grandmaster Durandis, Jace Luke and Joffrey, Eric Cargill, Laurent Marbrand, and of course, the sea snake Chorus Valarian, who he and Rhaenys pledged themselves at the very end. The Greens have the wealth from the three largest cities in the kingdom, Landisport, Old Town, and King's Landing, because the, the Tywin, uh, sorry, not the Lannisters were supporting the Old Town at that point in the Greens. The Blacks have the larger sea fleet and more adult dragons, and they have Daemon as a trusted, as a tactician. Um, now we're getting to the very end, which is really where the tragedy strikes. Rhaenyra says that she should, they want to get the houses that swore to her to remember their oaths. And that would be the two largest that would be possibly to pledge to her would be House Baratheon in the Stormlands and House Stark in the North. Now, instead of sending Raven, she decides, or it's volunteered by Jason Luke, that they would go on their dragons as a show of force and to remind them that they are royal and that they are dragon riders. Uh, Jace goes to the Vale, then to White Harbor, and then to Winterfell. And Luke would go to Storm's End, which is a much closer journey, but we know that happened there. As Storm's End witnessed Luke's death, they agreed that Aemon demanded an eye. Boros Baratheon said, not in my castle, take it outside. And they did. And the books say that Rhaenyra collapsed when she heard the news of Luke's death. The series presents a much different picture. As Damon breaks the news to her, she stands strong and resolute with a look of absolute murder on her face. Whatever peace she may have been considering at the offer from the High Towers is gone. So what do we think about Rhaenyra's choices, you know, with her Black Council and trying to get those oaths that were sworn to her? What do we think about those decisions and of course the very end do you think that she she fainted when she heard the news or do you think that she stood strong uh sam you go first i think uh i i don't think she fainted i i don't think she did i, th- I mean i think that like after after she already just went through like a stillbirth her father dying her like her crown being stolen from her while yes, losing her son is probably the worst of those things. I think that at that point, like, I I don't think that that would have, I don't think that like, she's already getting so much grief at once that like, I think that from that point, she's just like, I'm, I'm just angry now. Like I'm just mad. Like she just moved on from like, I I'm like, I'm upset. Obviously I'm definitely like, you know, devastated that my son is dead, but now she's like, I want revenge. Like, I've given too much grief. I've tried to play it cool. Like, I'm just mad. So, like, I don't think she fainted. I think the whole, like, the angry face at the end of the episode made the most sense. Like, that, it makes a lot of, like, I think we, like, back in Game of Thrones, Arya talked to that actress who was playing uh, Cersei, like, during, in that play or whatever. And she, and Arya even tells her, she's like, she'd be angry. She'd be mad. And it's like, yeah, Rhaenyra is in that situation where, like, her son died. She's pissed. Um, her trying to get like the, the way that it was in like in the, in the show, how she was getting people together, trying to get the word out. I think her relying on her claim was like a little too much. Like she, I I feel like she's almost not used to being queen yet and not realizing that she can give more than just like, 
I, it's my claim. You should join me. Like she could give lands. Like she has that power to be like, Hey, you join me. You get these lands. Hey, you join me. You can marry this person or we'll get you a match. Like, and I, it almost seems like she wasn't ready for that part of it. Whereas in like, you've got on like on the, on the green side of things, you've got a bunch of people who have been scheming already and figuring out what they're going to do. And on her side of things, you got Damon, who's just like ready to just like go ham on Westeros. So you know, I think it's like she's like basically already behind on this against like a whole team of people who are ready to do this for a while. So I think she's like doing the best she can. It's just like she's playing catch up. So, Uzma? I think she definitely fainted because she did love her children. Even in the book, she does love her children. Like uh, when they uh, when they offered the suggestion that they should uh, use their dragons and attack King's Landing. The first thing she says, remember that my children will also be there. My children are also dragon riders and I will not risk their lives. And that's the reason why she decides not to attack King's Landing. Because she is worried about her children. And uh, she sends Luke to Stormsend because it was considered to be a safe trip. He, uh, It was close. He was just... Uh, supposed to go there give the letter uh, give the message and return no one uh, suspected that uh, this would happen that Eamon would arrive there so if she had any inkling that any kind of threat was there she wouldn't have sent her children and I agree with uh, Sam that she has no experience in this and you can feel her inexperience that she's just uh, thinks that uh, just because she is the rightful heir, everyone will, would follow her. And I think if her children had been true-blooded uh, blood, uh, true -blooded Valerian kids, maybe uh, uh, House Baratheon would have uh, sided with her. Because uh, if I remember correctly, uh, Boros Baratheon's father was Rhaenys' brother, right? Uh, or was it uncle? Cousin. I think they were cousins. Yeah, cousins. So uh, they were related to Rhaenys and she was uh, putting, uh, basing the safety of Luke on that relationship that he is related to Rhaenys, uh, your grand, you have your grandmother's blood and uh, they won't uh, hurt you and in any way. But bo the Greens were smarter, uh, smarter about it. They knew uh, they needed to bribe people to get them on mm -hmm. their side. And that's why uh, they offered to marry one of their daughters to a prince. And um, Rhaenyra could have offered lands, like uh, they could have t taken the lands from the Greens and given it to the loyal black supporters. But like we uh, discussed earlier, she has no experience. And it shows in this. As for Sea Snake, he's mostly, he's a great warrior, but uh, I think he doesn't, He's not that well uh, at the politics of land. Like he's better at sea and mm -hmm. maybe fighting at sea and everything. But uh, even he didn't suggest this. As for Damon, <laughs> he's better at war. I don't think this politics is his forte. <laughs> what no. do you think, Constance? <laughs> no, I think that the notion that I'm the rightful heir, people will flock to me, is the same kind of thinking that Viserys, Daenerys, Daenerys' brother had. Danny's brother thought that I'm the true heir to the throne, 
people will flock to my banner and they'll restore me to the throne because I am the true and rightful king. Well, time has passed. And it's the same thing with uh, Rhaenyra. Time, these are oaths that were sworn by parents. These are oaths that were sworn by older men. And the younger lords are like, well, I didn't swear no oath. That's Boros's whole point is that I didn't make this pledge. And here you come before me with nothing other than a reminder that my father said these words. Well, they offered me to make my daughter a princess. What do you got? You got nothing? Okay, get out. Um, so yeah, I, I agree with you both that, that Rhaenyra doesn't understand what the power of the throne truly is. Because her father never had to take away lands or, or levy, levy serious taxes or fines or put down rebellion. You know, the old king and her father both had relatively peaceful reigns. So she doesn't quite understand that it's like, hey, if we win, you could have these things. We'll promise you these things if we win, but you have to help me first. So I don't think she's thinking that far ahead. So. But in her defense, she is on the right side. Uh, the only, the people who needs to give bribes are the ones who are in the wrong because they know they won't get support uh, if they were right. Yeah, that's that's fair. I mean, the high towers have, like I said, the wealth of Old Town, King's Landing, and the backing of the Lannisters. And uh, they stole from the tre treasury. Exactly, that the money from the treasury from all from these three cities. So they've got the money to bribe people and off and make deals and things to, to cement their position. Whereas Rhaenyra doesn't have access to all those funds. So that's our dive on Rhaenyra. That's everything about her. Now, if the audience has any thoughts or any observations, please feel free to email us and let us know. Give us your opinions. We're more than happy to discuss your questions here on the air. So, all right, Sam, that's it for me. Back to you. All right. Thank you, Constance. We have now our Fire and Blood segment where the whole council will be digging into our chosen character's story. Uh, today it is obviously Rhaenyra. Uh, Uzma, I believe you have some questions for us. Yeah. Maybe I'm not uh, as good as our resident tyrant, <laughs> but <laughs> I'll try to fill in her shoes. <laughs> so the first question is, there were a lot of things changed from the books to the show. So in regards to Rhaenyra, name one change that you liked and one you wish wasn't changed from the books. Uh, Sam? Uh, okay, so I'll go with the one that I kind of didn't, that I didn't like. Uh, we kind of, we mentioned a little bit how like, the the blacks were more suspect characters in a lot of ways. I do think that there was a certain level of cutthroat that they kind of took away from Rhaenyra that I kind of wish they would have kept for the show. Um, not to kind of similar to how like how like Tyrion in the Song of Ice and Fire series, I or series, I think that he's a little more like. You know, I think in that series, yeah, like he's a little more threatening. He's a little more like doesn't care as much as like in because in the show, I feel like they really softened him up for like certain storylines. 
And I didn't really like that version of Tyrion. Like, I don't think it really fit well. And I kind of... I didn't dislike it to that point in this series, but I do wish we kind of saw a more like cutthroat kind of version of Rhaenyra. That's like the one thing I I didn't like. Um, The change that I did like would probably be um, the relationship with Allison. I think that that was like perfect. I feel like that like, because it basically we just watched a series about two best friends whose like relationship was destroyed over politics and prophecy and like and and I feel like that's like a really it's like a it's a a mix of so many different types of tragedies and I I feel like it really like added a whole nother layer to like the story that we've read before so I think that was my favorite uh Constance what about you I'm gonna agree with you on my favorite choice is is making Alicent and Rhaenyra closer in age and best friends because it does make this more of a tragedy between friends and family rather than just an usurper and the right flair to the throne, right? It's it's not just Alicent. And the other thing I liked was them inserting the prophecy of ice and fire into the series. Because that is a driving motivation for many of these characters. Like, Alicent mistakenly thinks it means her son should be king. And Rhaenyra knows the true story behind it now. So I think that putting that in, other than the, the two of them having a relationship, is the best change. Uh, the change I didn't like? Uh, no mushroom. That I didn't <laughs> like. <laughs> um, Hashtag so season Uzma. two. Yeah, season two, mushroom. Uh, Uzma, what, what did you like? What changes did you like or not like? I agree with you. Uh with you about the prophecy i love how rhaenyra takes the prophecy into consideration when she is deciding whether to go to war or not uh, it makes it puts her kind of uh, in the good side of things because in the books she goes uh, she immediately declares for war uh, and the, the only reason she doesn't attack king's landing is because she is afraid for their for her children's lives but in the show, she is taking, uh, putting the realm first. She is putting her people, the kingdom, before her own desires. So that uh, I kind of like that part of uh, they changed in the book, in the show. And the one I wish they had kept uh, from the books, Rhaenyra feeding Waymon to her dragon. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, uh, Daemon cutting down Waymon was cool, but I think Rhaenyra uh, feeding. A uh, Waymon to uh, Cyrax would have would have been way cooler. <laughs> yeah, and uh, a lot of people say that Rhaenyra isn't badass and uh, or doesn't do anything uh, ever since she uh, the grown up version of her showed up. So I think this would have changed their opinion about it. <laughs> well, which ties into what Sam said about her being more cutthroat. Yeah. So moving on to our next question. Name one action of Rhaenyra from season one that you liked and supported her. Constance? I liked it when she had that conversation with Lenor about finding happiness in their marriage with other people. I, I think that they're having an open relationship and understanding that, you know, if we're together and, and we're, we'll be miserable if we're if we don't let ourselves be happy 
and find our happiness. So I like that. I think that was the best, the best decision she made was being open with Lenor about her relationship with him and the two of them being a good couple, but not being good lovers. I think my favorite was when she told, basically told Viserys, she's like, you got to get rid of Otto Hot to Hightower. She's like, I'm going to go, I'll go marry Lenor, but you need to get rid of Otto. Like that was like, everyone knew it. Everyone knew he was a problem. And the, and like, young Rhaenyra was even like if I'm gonna be heir you gotta do this for me and I really liked how she was so open about it too like she wasn't holding back she was like she just knew that this guy was gonna be an issue which he was and then like which he was at the time and then later on was as well so like just the fact that she had that foresight and just that like very curt like Viserys do your job like get rid of this guy I think that was like one of my favorite parts just because like I think it was the first time we saw Rhaenyra really act like I don't want to say act queenly I guess not the first time but it was like the first time you could see like okay like she's like really really like her fans (laughs) yeah she's committed to like being a queen like she's not just like not taking it seriously she like knew that it was important for Otto Hightower to piss off back to Hightower so or piss off back to Old Town so yeah it was what about you it felt even better because even not even Damon could get rid of him. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Mine was um, Rhaenyra going to Dragonstone to retrieve the dragon egg from Damon. That scene was so badass, and it showed uh, what kind of ruler she could have been. Like, uh, she could be badass, and uh, if she was given the proper respect, if uh, her advice and everything, Viserys took them uh, and the council took them seriously, instead of just laughing them uh, off. This was the one time she acted in a queenly manner, uh, and uh, it was uh, going against, against Viserys' will. She, he didn't allow her to take any action. He didn't allow her to deal with any threats or uh, like, like the way she wanted to act when uh, the issue of Stepstones uh, rose up. Uh, Viserys didn't allow her to uh, do anything. But uh, Rhaenyra uh, retrieved the egg without bloodshed. And uh, even Viserys agreed that Otto wouldn't have been able to. So... Okay, and moving on to uh, the second part of discussion. Name one of her actions that you didn't like from season one. That I didn't like. Oh, I just had this too. Um, oh, I lost it. That I didn't like. Oh, I didn't like that she left King's Landing. That was dumb. I mean, like, I don't mean, like, you know, like, I get why, because she was like, I don't want to be here. This place sucks. But as soon as she left King's Landing, it just like left everything open for like everyone to move in on. And I, I think that that was a I think that was a bad decision. Like, I don't think that the Greens would have been able to, you know, stack the council. They wouldn't have been able to scheme behind her back like that. Like she would have been sitting on the council. Um, bringing Damon back to King's Landing would have really put people on their best behavior. So I think, like, I get why she left, because she was just fed up, and, like, obviously the kids were not getting along, so I, I get it, but leaving King's Landing was just such a bad idea, because then everybody moved in on everything, so. Constance? Uh, worst decision was sleeping with Christian Cole. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that was really bad. That was so yeah. bad. <laughs> that was so bad. Let's, let's sleep with someone that I have to see every day that 
I have absolutely no no romantic interest in. I have sexual interest, but not romantic interest. And he's also the guy that's supposed to defend my life, and he uh, works for my dad. Yeah, that's a real good decision. <laughs> yeah. So it's why you never sleep with someone at the office. You know, you don't do yeah, that. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So <laughs> that's my choice. Uh, Uzma, what's what's your number one bad decision? I didn't like her lying to uh, Rain Alicent when she asked about what happened, and uh, on top of everything, swearing on her mother's name uh, that uh, she didn't do anything because uh, she was lying, and uh, she swore on her mother's uh, death, and that uh, like uh, that was one of the key moments. I think Alicent felt so hurt by her lie that she was furious when she found out about the truth maybe uh, if she had told uh, Alison the truth she she would have been ba- mad but uh, she would have uh, gotten over it and maybe their uh, friendship wouldn't have been completely destroyed if Rhaenyra hadn't lied about it so that's my choice and the next question is can you think of one any one character uh, that would have done better in had they been in Rhaenyra's situation. Constance? Definitely Rhaenys. That's a good pick. <laughs> yeah. She had the wherewithal, the intelligence, the drive, the strength. She would have bulldozed everybody in King's Landing <laughs> to get to get that throne. And she would have been good queen too. So that's my number one pick. I hope I didn't steal it, Sam. <laughs> it's hard to follow Whether that. You can, uh, <laughs> yeah, you can pick from Game of Thrones characters as well. Oh, oh, oh that, wow. I'm still, sti- I'm still sticking with Rainies. <laughs> okay, uh, I would pick oh, out of all the Thrones. I'll just, uh, I'll throw in Jon Snow. We'll go with Jon Snow. <laughs> Love Jon Snow. <laughs> I'm gonna go with like the All Star pick. I think he would have been. I, I think he would have been too nervous one to sleep with anybody. Really, um, you know, he would have would have been like the same time with Egret all the time. He would have been like, I don't know, I'm not sure. My my vows. Um, I think if anything, he might have like given it up to someone maybe, or I don't know. I feel like he's just a better leader all around. Um, well, I don't know. I really don't know why I'm picking Jon Snow. I think I was just stumped. Constant took the best one, so. <laughs> but yeah, I'll stick with Jon Snow with, without any reason whatsoever. Uzma, what about you? I think Littlefinger or maybe Ooh. like San- Sansa or Littlefinger. I think they are basically the same thing she learned from him. So I think little. I'm going to stick with Littlefinger. He was a, a complete mastermind and I think he would have come up with different ways to deal with the greens or get rid of them <laughs> maybe have them start fighting each other <laughs> and destroy each other like he did with Lannisters and Starks so that's like all it. for fire and blood <laughs> back to you Sam all right thank you Uzma and now for our final segment fans of the dragon where Uzma and Constance will give us trivia polls about the world of ice and fire and questions and comments from you the listeners all you Uzma and Constance. Okay, so we'll start off with our trivia as always. Who is the truest and most trustworthy source of information in all of Westeros? 
<laughs> this should be a very easy one. This is a very easy question. This is an easy bookmark win right now. Yeah. So send that in. Send in your answers uh, and, and answer the trivia question for fabulous prizes. And uh, now Uzma has some polls for us, I believe. Yeah. Okay. So the poll for this week is... Which of Rhaenyra's decisions in season 1 do you think could have prevented the upcoming war? So, while also keeping her family safe. And with 60 on YouTube, 64% people voted that none. War was inevitable. There was nothing Rhaenyra could have done to survive, uh, to avoid the war. As for Twitter, once again, the option none of war was inevitable wins by 66.7% and on Facebook once again by 51% none war was inevitable wins but another option was added by JD Garcia that Renira had not, nothing to do with it and Viserys should never have married remarried what do you guys think of what are your uh, choices yeah, it was always going to happen. Kind of like J.D. Garcia said, once Viserys married Allison, kind of messed things up a little bit. So Thanks, Otto. Yeah, appreciate <laughs> that. All right, we've got a different segment uh, because we don't have any dragons for you. We don't have an MVP. We're going to do a eulogy for characters, those that we loved and lost during the course of season one. And we're going to start with the very first death Sir Stark, whose name we do not know, we mourn <laughs> you. Your face got bashed in with a mace, and blood went everywhere, and you clearly died of hemorrhaging. So we commend you to the seven heavens. But actually, we're going to talk about Emma Aaron today. So, uh, <laughs> And now Emma his watch has of, ended. Yes, and now his watch has ended. <laughs> um, but we're going to talk about Emma. Emma was born of Roderick Aaron and the gentle and scared of everything Princess Della Della Targaryen in 82 AC. Uh, And perhaps hinting at what her daughter's fate would be, Della died after a long labor childbirth at 18 years of age. Uh, Emma was later married to her cousin Viserys when she was 11, but they didn't sleep together until she was 13 and able to actually start having kids. Uh, Some maesters felt that this was far too young, which I agree with. Uh, She was pregnant multiple times and even had a son that was born but died in the cradle and didn't have a living child until Rhaenyra at 97 AC when she was only 15 years old when Rhaenyra was born. But she and Viserys were very happy together and perfectly in love like we saw in the series. They were very much in love and they hosted many a many tournament, tournament and the keep was full of laughter and song. But she became pregnant again in 105 AC and the child was long in coming. Now she told Rhaenyra, this discomfort is how we serve the realm. We have royal wombs, you and I. The childbed is our battlefield. We must learn to face it with a stiff lip. Emma could not bear this child naturally, and so the Viserys decided that the maesters would cut her open and draw the child out, because he knew that it was his son. Emma, Emma was not given a choice. She was not asked her thoughts of the matter. Viserys just commanded the maesters to do it, and it was done. This killed her. Sadly, the child, Balon, did not survive much longer than she did. She and the baby were burned on a funerary pyre by Cyrax at Rhaenyra's command. 
May her soul be commended unto the seven heavens. And thus do we eulogize Queen Emma Targaryen. And that's it for us. Sam, take us home. All right. Thank you very much. That is our episode. Follow us on Facebook at A-W-P-O-I-A-F and Twitter at Ice and Fire Party. Uh, and email us at watchpartyoficeandfire at gmail.com. If you're watching on YouTube, feel free to comment below. Massive thank you to our Azora High of editing, Jordan Reynolds, for editing and putting the episode together. The episode is loaded and filled with mistakes. Season one of Rings of Power is over, and there's plenty to discuss, so check out our friends over at Watch Party Lord of the Rings, who have all the lore and discussion you could need. We also have our pals over at Watch Party Wheel of Time with anything and everything you need to know about that universe and series. This has been a production of Watch Party Network. Thank you very, very much for joining us. We are your hosts, Solar, who's not with us today. Constance. Good night, my friends. Uzma. Vila Mogulis. And myself, Sam. Alar Mogulis.